So the big question is this, how do entrepreneurial salespeople like us who have traditionally sold alone and used gut and intuition to hit their number, take their innate talents and begin selling using science, technology, and the secrets of thousands who have done it before to crush their quota and change the world? That is the question, and this podcast provides the answers. Today, we're going to be talking about how you build successful teams. And to do that, we brought on David Belden. He's a regional sales leader for Google Cloud. David, how the heck are you? Doing great. Good, thanks. Yeah, well, I appreciate you coming on. I was, we were talking a little pre-show. David and I had a small interaction with each other a couple of years back. And I was like, oh, I do know David, but I appreciated him taking the time. And this concept around building teams and the way that he's kind of thought through it, it's fascinating. I'm excited to get into it, but before I do, two quick questions, David. One is, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself and what you do at, uh, over there at Google? Sure. So uh, to start out, I um, got a couple of young kids, so I'm you know on weekends home with my wife and kids, and when I'm not doing that, I spend my free time mountain biking. <laughs> that is my uh, current uh, you know, current affliction, I guess is the word. No, I, 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 I got I love doing when I'm, when I'm not at work. I got to ask real quick: um, Is there a lot of places you go mountain? I mean, you're obviously in the Bay Area. You go. Where do you find you do trails? Yeah, you just we do have road? fabulous trails here. Is that right? Yeah, no, I'm right? mostly trail. I'm kind of scared of cars, um, so I mostly stick to dirt. And I do a little bit of racing in Tahoe, and then up and down the peninsula, we have some beautiful open space preserves with spectacular trails. Good for you. And then our flow trail in Santa Cruz, which is rated the best what's called flow trail in the country wow. apparently wow. is um you know 45 minutes away and amazing so wow. great riding here when i can get away from the kids that's right. but they'll be with me out there soon i hope <laughs> yeah that's right as soon as they get old enough you take them on there so that's a little bit about you and then um what's you been what have you been doing at google what's kind of your past uh, past sales experience so I've been here about seven years across a number of teams. At the moment, I lead um, a, a fairly, what is it, a 35-person inside sales team for Google Cloud. And uh, it's been really fun seeing the team grow, the org grow. And we help leaders who want to um, innovate, both you know with collaboration tools like G Suite, as well as ah. innovate in terms of amazing infrastructure. So we sell Google Cloud Platform. Yeah. So, you know, server storage, machine learning, big data, analytics, AI. My team does all that. So they are busy and having fun. Oh, man. Um, I know G Suite. Uh, it's actually a really cool tool. Kudos, man. I bet that's a fun job. Well, let's flip the flip the bill here just a little bit. I want to get into this idea. Maybe you can set us up. Um, I looked at this document. It sounds like there's a study that was done. You had a kind of a cool name for it at Google. Um, trying to figure out the characteristics of a successful team. There were some interesting findings, but before we get into those findings, can you set it up and kind of explain what is Project Aristotle? Like, how did it come to be? Maybe just paint that picture real quick. Sure. So Google wanted to figure out what makes for high-performing teams in that um, – you know, the, actually, I think it was Adam Grant, maybe, who had done a study uh, and saw that some doctors do incredibly well in one certain, one hospital, but a day later in a different hospital have very different outcomes. Yeah. And so to realize that the team you're working with is, is very important. And in some businesses, you can just lift and shift the entire team. At Google, we have so many employees and so many different teams <laughs> that it's very hard to lift and shift the team. Well, um, so ultimately, our 
people, um, people analytics team or people ops team did a massive study to figure out what makes for high performing teams. Mm. And, um, they looked at, uh, 200 interviews across 180 teams, 250 different characteristics Mm. to try to hone in on what is it that made for high performing teams. And one thing that they figured out was they had to bring in some subjective definitions around effectiveness. Mm. So for execs, it was, are they hitting the right results for team leads? It was, are they, do they have innovative ideas? Are they, you know, really getting things done? And then for team members, it was team culture. Do they really enjoy their work? So Google ran, you know, 35 stats models against this and looked at a number of areas that um, could that intuitively you would think might apply to high performing teams. Yeah, so, well, and that was that was I think the the thing that kind of sorry I didn't mean to interrupt, but the thing that kind of jumped out no, to me when I saw no it was. Um, you know, there is this like cognitive bias. There's so many, I guess, cognitive biases that we as humans have. But I was like, oh, I assume I'd probably see, you know, GPA and I don't know, test scores and college graduates. And I think, you know, in the article, you know, like, oh, they have like a master's degree and an MBA. And, um, but I was like, yeah. none of that was, was in there. Was that, was I the only one surprised or were people, you know, like yourself kind of like, hey, that doesn't quite seem right? Yeah, you were not in that I thought, oh, if you have, if everyone's sitting together, that makes a difference. Or if you have all the A players together, that makes a difference. Or you have a bunch of senior people. And what we found was sort of surprising in that there were five attributes that stood out in high performing teams that didn't stand out in low performing teams. And those were in order of importance, psychological safety. Yeah. And this is the one that I think is far and away the most important, but psychological safety, dependability, structure and clarity, meaning. So is it meaningful to you as a person? And then impact. Do you feel that your, your work has impact on the culture or on the company? So these were, this was it. This was kind of after all the analysis and all was said and done, these were kind of the characteristics of a, a a successful sales team. I mean that that those those were hit. Let's can we click into a couple yeah. of these because I think some of the definitions, like when you hear psychological safety, you're like, what the heck? What what, what does psychological safety mean? Can you maybe, maybe start there? What, what what is it, and what, sure. why why does it make a difference? Yeah, so psychological safety is interesting, and there's a woman named um, Amy Edmondson, and she is the was it Novartis Professor of Leadership and Management at Harvard Business School. She has an incredible 10-minute TED Talk about psychological safety that's worth that's worth a watch. Um, but you know, the, what she gets at, and the way sort of Google defines it, is it refers to an individual's perception of the consequences of taking an interpersonal risk. In other words, you're in a team meeting and you hear something that you're not sure about. Do you raise your hand and say, I don't quite get that or I've got a question? Or do you think, you know what, if I keep my mouth shut, I'm not getting in trouble? So it's that willingness to ask questions, to chime in, to speak up. That is psychological safety. Interesting. If you're in an org that isn't safe, you're not raising your hand. You're like, you know what, I'm just going to stick to my own work. I'm going to keep my head down versus one where you see something that's a little off and you think, I have a question there or I don't get it. And what it does is it helps everyone learn. Yeah. So if I ask what, you know, I'm worried is a stupid question, I'm not the only one who has that question. So when I learn from the answer, everyone else learns from the answer. It's sort of, the, you know, rising tide raises all boats. Absolutely. And when you have uncertain, uncertainty in, you know, what you're, 
what you're solving or how it's going to work. You need everyone's help. You can't, you can't just kind of go it alone. So, David, I, I hear that, um, this psychological safety concept, and intuitively I understand um, that that does make sense, but I'm thinking of the audience, a lot of sales leaders, and it's a pretty cutthroat game, you know? I mean, it's like, hey, you're, sometimes you're either making it, you know, you're hitting your number or you're not. Have you found anything as you've started to say, okay, if psychological safety is so critical, how do we facilitate it? How can leaders... Have you found stuff in your own world? Have you seen other people be successful at kind of creating a culture where people are safe? Sure. So, I, you know, there are a couple ways I think about it. One is that sort of caring personally about your people. I think it's Kim Scott and Radical Candor yeah. talking about you got to, you know, Love care Radical personally Candor. and sort of be direct with your feedback. When people know that you genuinely care about them and their success and their career, I think they're much more likely to be more vulnerable. So, you know, one of the ways we put that to play is like, no, it's great to do a win review. It's really important to do a loss review and have everyone actually learn from why you lost the deal because that helps everyone else have better outcomes. As you think about these different leaders, and it seems like some leaders are naturally good at kind of creating a good environment, some aren't. You mentioned win-loss as one example of, what are some of uh, anything else you've found that, you know, people who maybe just naturally aren't good at creating that environment can do to facilitate more openness? So um, it's funny, Google came up with this answer and Amy Edmondson did too. Um, one of the most important things is to frame the work you're doing as a learning problem, not an execution problem. Hmm. So you've got to phrase it as, I mean, I don't necessarily have all the answers. I need all of your good, good ideas and input questions for us to solve this. Yeah. Um, if you're just saying, like, if there's no uncertainty in your work and they just have to execute faster, uh, all right, maybe you don't necessarily need psychological safety. But if you're selling enterprise software, you have uncertainty. And no, like, every deal is different. How? What's your model? You go to market. You need them to really chime in. And then the, so the team has to be engaged with how are we going to do this? Like, great, we've got a, a high quota number. How are we, we going to hit it? Oh. It's not that I just am going to tell you, you just have to make more calls. That's the only answer. <laughs> There's way more to selling effectively than just making one more dial. Interesting. Yeah. So you kind of look at things through a slightly different, uh, slightly different kind of glass there. Is there, is there things you feel like, I don't mean to go too deep into this one, but I remember when I read psychological safety, I was thinking, wow, that's kind of different. Um, do you feel like there is, you know, people who struggle with this, they struggle for certain reasons. It's like, look, people who don't kind of have this type of team chemistry or this team DNA, they don't have it because leaders aren't taking the time to, to, to do this or they're not being creative kind of with some of the ideas you've mentioned or is it just, again, it's just not in their, their natural state to, to actually have that environment? Well, so it's interesting. Uh, often it's new managers and what made somebody wildly successful as an individual contributor is not what makes them wildly successful as a manager. So there is a transition from micromanaging your business and just like being on point on absolutely everything to thinking, okay, now the three biggest things I need, I need to care personally, you know, open up psychological safety and really empower the team. 
and you know set clear set clear goals clear expectations that's different from i am micromanaging my book of business doesn't matter what anyone else is doing this is what i'm doing so making that transition it turns out google does have an awesome sort of new manager framework for onboarding new managers to help them make that jump but i think a lot of companies are, are thinking about how do we make great new leaders because yeah. it is different than being a great individual contributor. Yeah, great point, right? I mean, we as sales reps, we start closing deals and we get all excited about who we are and what we've done and then, um, yeah, you get in management. It is about others, and that's a hard. That is a hard transition. And to your point, I don't know if a lot of companies facilitate learning. And we've heard that Peter principle. You know, you're promoted kind of a to your level of incompetency. And, uh, <laughs> probably is yep. that probably is uh, one of the downfall. But you're right. Companies who do it right probably help people make that transition because it isn't a bad idea to take some of your top sales reps and turn them into managers. It's just. If you don't give them the tools, they probably won't win. So that's a little bit on on the psychological safety. I know there was multiple other characters. We probably won't go to each one, but was there another one that kind of stood out to you as like, oh, that was pretty fascinating? I mean, structure and clarity um, is another key principle. Although I will say the other, when I think about um, sales teams, there was a great leadership book I wrote, and it'll be read. I just definitely didn't write it. <laughs> I was um, like, did you write one? Oh, I'd love to read it. I'd love to read it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so would I if I wrote one. No, it's called <laughs> Lead and Influence by Mark Fritz. And he starts the book with the quote, when's the last time you washed a rental car? Mm. And of course, you, I, you don't own a rental car. Nobody washes rental cars. <laughs> and you compare that with... You know, something that you truly have ownership of. I, my kids come and wash my car with me every weekend. It's 10 years old, but it, you know, I take really good care of it. I wash my mountain bikes very carefully um, because I own them. So with uh, sales teams, you really want to give them ownership of their work. And, um, you know, the three things that I often call out are specialization, ownership, and accountability that I think make a massive difference. When someone owns their number, they're accountable for it and they're sort of in charge of everything that influences it, they'll make it happen. Yeah. I mean, you, you contrast that with what somebody told me the other day was the ancient Chinese proverb of if there are three monks, there are no, there's no water. If there's one monk, they go down to the well, they get the water themselves. <laughs> if there are two monks, they share the workload to go and get the water and then they get it together. And if there are three monks, um, one, they assume someone else is getting the water and two, they don't want to be the one getting the water for everyone else. So, you know, the, the closer you can be to the sort of the one, maybe two monk issue where um, they have ownership and accountability, they go above and beyond, they get it done, you empower them and, you know, people want to do great work. Yeah. So. I'm, the, the monk, I'm going to have to steal that monk story. I love it. Um, you know, we just did a research piece and we, we asked seven, 800 sales reps about time management. And a lot of people came back and just said, you know, truthfully, when it comes to tasks they feel like they're spending their time on, 35% is what they consider to be true selling time. The rest is, you know, just a lot of random, some administrative, some dealing with other departments, you know, some training. And um, there was real interesting comments just about, you know, reps being like frustrated, like, ah, I wish I could do my job. But I think back to your ownership yep. concept and it's like, how do you, mm, how do you give more reps? Someone mentioned this term CEO of a territory, like a rep is a CEO. Yeah. And I was like, I love that idea. I'm just wondering, you know, how do you start to, because man, if it not, it's excuses, you know, it's market, marketing doesn't give me the leads or the contracting team isn't, you know, doing it. And I, you can't do everything, but 
because there's so many departments and there are a lot of hiccups, is there ways you've found you believe leaders can facilitate this kind of dependability or ownership more? So what I try to do is have the reps focused on the highest value work. Scrubbing the internet to find contact data is low value work. <laughs> so pay true. someone else to do that. So true. Like bring, yeah. So you pay someone else to do that. You, um, so I, I mean, you just sort of think about like, okay, appointment setting. That that is something that a team can crush. Yeah. That you could bring an in-house team, external team to your appointment setting. Now you've got a sales rep who has good data, whose calendar is full. They are selling, yeah. and then they're busy. Yeah. Um, versus if they have all the work top to bottom, they're not specializing at all. Um, they feel like you know they don't have specialization. They don't have I don't know. They don't, they'll feel like they don't have the same ownership over their their book of business. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I literally um, because was, it, sorry. Go ahead. Finish. Go ahead. Yeah. Finish. Well, uh, I was just thinking more on the specialization, and that you know there's. There's the SDR, there's the list work, there's SDR work right. or appointment setting work, there's deal qualifying, which I actually like to have reps do. There's account management once you close the deal. I, I like some specialization across those as opposed to having one person doing all, absolutely all of it. Interesting. Um, Just from a sales structure standpoint. So the more you can find getting people to kind of do what they do best, it seems like they get just more ownership. Um, A lot of people, you you know, I was literally talking to a rep and he said, um, I was like, man, I feel like you could take some of that researching stuff and maybe have somebody else do it or pay somebody else. And he was like, man, I feel like that is such a high value thing to, you know, waste time trying to find the phone number or the email of, of somebody. And I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> have you, how have you, is, that, is that a cultural thing you found to kind of get people behind this idea of specialization so they can focus on what really is the highest kind of valued tasks? Or is it just something you got to continue to kind of pound into them? Um, let's see. So um, it's funny. There were two thoughts that came to mind as you were asking that. One uh, for specialization, I think it's Scott Albro at Topo who yeah. just constantly harps on specialization. He has sort of won me over towards specialization. Mm-hmm. Um, with with the team, the way I actually think about it is, if you have psychological safety, your reps will tell you what they yeah, what's working and what's not. They yeah. will chime in and say, "Hey, I find that personalized outreach makes a huge difference for me. Therefore, this is the this is what I need." You know, you had someone on your team uh, on the podcast that talked about cold calling and they said, I'm not that into personalization. You know, I can just, this, these are my steps to getting a meeting or yeah, to leaving right. a voicemail. I get a meeting. Yeah, Great. So for him, I would have someone else line up data in front of him. So he's got yeah, a phone list that's right. and just Ooh. hammers through it. Make it, so, per, make it so about based the person. On what, yeah. Yeah. Based on what you're selling and what works for your team, you figure out what's the piece that you can give to someone less expensive. And then you have your dude who can leave voicemail all day long and get a meeting with anyone on the phone. And, you know, or so, so yeah, that's, that's how I try to think about it. Interesting. Yeah. So it's almost more like trying not to take a broad stroke across the whole team, but thinking more about the individual person and seeing how you can help them be their best self. Oof. Interesting. I don't know if a lot of people could go there, but it makes sense. Makes sense. It's, 
yeah, the personalization, it's a little bit about the, the person. There's also going to be some team dynamic and team vibe sure, sure. That's given true. the product industry that we sell. Yeah. This is what we need. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, Jason, we're kind of, uh, excuse me, Dave, we're kind of getting to our, our, our time here. I was thinking about the last podcast guest. That was the, the Jason was our, our cold caller guest. Yeah. Um, but David, yeah. uh, we're kind of getting to the end here. Um, I, man, I want to get into some of these other points, but maybe you can kind of, just from a summary standpoint, as you think about these successful characteristics, we obviously went into psychological safety a little bit, a little bit into this idea of ownership and dependability. Um, if you had to kind of summarize for these leaders, any takeaways that you'd say, guys, you got to be thinking about this if you want to make sure you win. Um, so I think the summary would be you need a culture where the team's willing to speak up and ask questions. And if you're just talking at them and they're doing what you say, you're not going to get the most out of your team. So that's the psychological safety. You want to combine that with the structure and clarity of people know what they're on the hook for. They know what's expected yeah, of them. Yeah. And if you set, if you set that clearly, you can give them the ownership and sort of accountability to right. get that done. Right. Um, so that's sort of how I think about it. And within structure and clarity, I believe in specialization, Scott, Topo is banging that into my head and I can't get rid of it. Um, so, it. you know, yeah, you set up a, a vibe where people are willing to, to speak up. They feel empowered. They own their outcome and they get after it. And then you, you end up with awesome teams. And it's much less, I can't remember if it was Amy who said this or someone else, it's much less about who you hire and much more about how you empower them and how you set them up. And that's the, the response I always get is, you're at Google, you can hire anyone. Um, this works everywhere else too, you know, whether or not, you know, Google is perceived to have an easier time hiring. Um, it's how you set your team up that matters, not who you hired. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, certainly if you can create this type of culture, I mean, you know, there's always this, are you born with it? Did you develop it? nature versus nurture type of things? Can you hire it or can you build it? I feel, always feel like there's a little bit of both, but some people I think go too far on the extremes and it's like, man, if you could really build a culture like this where people are, I mean, a lot of it's just iteration. Like if I've got a problem, I raise my hand and say, I've got a problem, you know, and then we fix it and we go on. Yep. Right. Uh, it, so I mean, so, and part yep. of me is hearing you and I'm like, it's not rocket science, but boy, is it hard in practice. Boy, is it hard it is. in practice, man. But I think it actually is good to take a step back, especially for leaders that are listening and kind of think, how am I creating that culture? Because to David's point, um, I mean, sometimes culture just wins. I mean, you've got good culture. You'd be surprised how your people rise to the occasion. So, David, man, thanks so much for joining. We'll make sure in the, in the show notes we put some of these links so that if you want to learn just a little bit more about the five traits, the five characteristics you can. David, if someone wanted to get in touch with you or you know learn a little bit more of what you do about Google Cloud, what would be the best way to do that? Uh, to learn about Google Cloud, cloud.google.com. To learn about, or if you get in touch with me, LinkedIn uh, is an easy place to find me. And then I also periodically write a sales blog called salesutopia.org. And we will, we will make sure we get uh, salesutopia.org in the show notes as well. So, David, again, thanks so much for joining for the audience. Remember, success is just one play away. Want more sales secrets? Go to salessecrets.io to receive copies of our latest research and best practice content to help you crush your quota.